We're in 1 Corinthians. I hate the passage we're in, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, so when we get there, let me just share some things with you. It's okay to hate certain passages. So I don't hate them. I hate having to teach them. That's what you hate as the pastor, because then you've got to deal with stuff you don't always want to deal with. So what's going to happen in chapter 5 is we're going to deal with the process of excommunicating or kicking someone out of the church. Uh, there are numerous places in the New Testament that talk about it. Um, the, the technical term is excommunication, which means ex outside of the fellowship. Um, it, you know, because of Catholicism that has a lot of overtones, so we kind of shy away from that, is evangelicals, Baptists. We, we used to phrase uh, church them. I don't know where we got the phrase, we're going to church somebody. Churching somebody should sound good. We're going to church you. Come on. We have fun. Churching them means we're kicking them out. I don't know how in the world. That was just in our messed up Baptist minds, we, we got that. The real term, the real concept is discipline. So let me just say this, and this is important, especially when you come to the letters. You know, Paul wrote letters, James wrote a letter, um, Peter, John, Jude. Everything in there is for, it, it was not written to us, written to somebody else, but we can go in there and learn, and some of it, it is just cold stone. It is absolutely emphatic. This is what you do. When Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. That is a universal, absolute prescription for salvation. Some things, they're dealing with really specific problems. And you've got to understand the problem in the culture. And too often, we take a description and we take it and we pull it out and we say, this is it for us. And we got to do it the exact same way. And it doesn't work that way. Uh, we'll go to a passage, for instance, where Paul will say, I don't let women teach. And he gives the reason. And we'll have a universal, women can't teach men. But we ignore the part that says, greet each other with a holy kiss, which is actually a command. And so, you know, we, we kind of pick and choose, which is not smart. In, in Corinthians, this happens all the time. You know, in fact, in some of the same passages, when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a problem dealing with Lord's Supper, communion. And in it, he deals with their specific problem and gives them, this is what you need to do. And, it, and we need to take the principle of that. And then right after that, he talks about what the Lord's Supper is. And he says, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. And, and, and what he, he describes briefly what the whole thing about the Lord's Supper communion you know, is. And, and that is a real prescription of, of what it is for us universal truth. You come to the passage on gifts, and he'll talk about gifts and very specific problem, and he, and he mentions a handful of gifts. And we take the handful of gifts he mentions in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, and say, these are all the gifts there are. Paul never says that. He's just dealing with the problem. Universal truth, the ultimate truth is the Holy Spirit gifts us and gives every member a gift and gives the entire church gifts. You've got to figure that out. And, I, and, you know, you come to chapter 15 where we'll be Sunday, and he's dealing with a very specific problem about uh, they denying the resurrection of the dead. And then he starts talking about the resurrection of Jesus and gives one of the great doctrinal statements of all time. So when you go through there, you've got to understand, do, am I getting something that is absolutely a universal truth just the way it is? Or am I getting something that specifically deals with a problem and I've got to understand how to apply it? And when it comes to taking people out of the church, you, you, you've kind of got to get it that way. Remember, and we'll get to in just a minute, back then, there was just one church. The city of Corinth had one church. They may have met in different places, in different homes. They may have had however many house churches. There's one church. You're in an unbelievably pagan world. To be removed from the fellowship, to not be allowed to come to worship, to not be allowed to participate in communion, 
left you into the world of the pagans. You, you had no way of having fellowship with anybody. You, you, you wouldn't be able to associate with anybody. It was a disciplinary measure to get you to come to your senses. If, I, if we kick someone out of our church today, they just go down the street. They'll go join another church. And, and, and maybe they'll come join our church. And all we've done is you kicked your problem down the road. Now, if you're going to kick your problem down the road, hope they're kicking it that way, not this way, because we're like one of the last stops, you know. So the principle of helping people through their sin is always there. Protecting the church, absolute. Trying to redeem and reconcile someone, absolute. But you can't always do it the way that Paul talks about, because it's not going to desired effect. I have never, ever, ever, I don't do it, but had the church kick someone out. I have had many times, including here on numerous occasions, had frank conversations with people whose lifestyle and behavior was harmful in an effort to try to redeem them, and usually they just leave. That's their choice. But I make every effort to bring them back into alignment with us. If they leave, that's on them. And sometimes I've said, brother or sister, they ain't going to work this way. You're going to have to do some, you're going to have to get in line with us or you might need to leave. That's fine. And sometimes the staff have had to deal with people. So I'm saying it's not that we don't take care of problems. We have to understand in a biblical way how to do it. The other thing you have to realize is this. We're trying to reach a lot of lost people and they come with a lot of baggage. And if we're spending all our time dealing with people's baggage, lost people aren't going to want to come here. We have to meet a lot of needs of a lot of people, but we have to prioritize what's the most important need. And the most important need always is the eternal need, which is Jesus. Sometimes in prioritizing helping people come to Christ, we don't accept, we don't tolerate, but we don't necessarily deal with other problems. At that moment, we'll get to them. Every individual is a unique person. You got to find the path to get them to Christ. So churches really need to understand the totality of what is involved when you come to a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist among the Gentiles. Someone has. His father's wife. It has been reported, or Paul's got word. The word immorality comes from a basic word, pornaya. We get our term pornography from it. It is the most general, basic word for not just sexual sin, but fundamentally deviant sexual sin. It's usually associated with uh, prostitution. It can be associated with anything and everything. It's used in a wide variety of ways. Sometimes it's translated wickedness. It is, it is a fundamental evil and where a person's lifestyle and the morality is in direct conflict intentionally with what God desires in a person's life. Here is going to be sexual sin. It is so bad, even the Gentiles don't do it. That doesn't mean they don't ever do it, but what it means is this. The Gentiles recognize this is wrong. And we'll see in a moment, and he lists what it is, it's incest. It's not with his mother, but with his father's wife. And I'll get that in a minute, but... Even within the pagan culture, there were laws and rules and regulations against incest. And here, of course, obviously, the Old Testament talks about that. And the church would have adopted the Jewish view. That's just standard operating procedure of a moral situation. 
Now, his father's wife would, would mean not his mother, but it would mean his stepmother. Otherwise, he would have said his mother. It could be that his, uh, maybe his father passed on. Maybe he had taken her as wife, whatever. This is the situation. Here's the thing. He didn't really deal with that a whole lot. His primary concern, surprisingly, primary concern isn't with that man, though he just deal with it. It's with the church's attitude. Look what it says in verse 2. You have become arrogant and if not mourned instead, so that with the result that the one who has done this deed will be removed from your midst. In other words, this should be breaking your heart that one of your fellow believers is in this kind of sexual sin. Instead, you're arrogant. You're almost proud. What has happened? Remember, I talked about the division within the church. And later we'll see over time through 1 Corinthians We'll see again and again, just a group had come to set themselves apart as kind of superior Christians. They live in this unbelievable freedom. One of the things that had happened, and, and when people come to Christ, especially in that culture, and they could come from you know, different backgrounds, whether it be Jewish or pagan, one of the, and the Church of Corinth was primarily uh, from a Gentile background, though there was certainly a strong Jewish influence. We'll see in a minute. Is they either become extremely legalistic, or they become extremely libertarian, or, or what we would call antinomian. They, they say anything. We're free in Christ. We can live however we want. Dealt with that when I preached through the book of Jude at the first of the summer. I'm sure you remember all six of those messages in the order in which I preached them with the uh, sermon and the main topic. I remember them as if I preached them only four months ago. <laughs> I remember them somewhere in my notes. But it's a constant ongoing problem. The sense of we, we can live however we want. We've been saved by grace. And continually, Paul fights this. And this is what happens. He says, you should have removed them from your midst. You should have taken them out. So what he's saying is this. Not that the minute you find out their sin, you remove them. But you should have attempted to get the brother right with the Lord. And help them through this situation. And if they refuse to, then you should have removed it. We'll see more about that in just a minute. This is one of those tough things that relate today. We live in an extremely promiscuous culture. It has infected the church. And there are many churches, denominations, that just have wholesale accepted I didn't say sell, did I? The wholesale accepted. <laughs> or whole hell accepted, either one, both count. Freudian slip, that's true. Have just accepted entirely that mindset and has, has come into the church in an insidious way. We, of course, do not accept that. We, we recognize this moral standard. One man, one woman for life. That's what God intends. Till death do you part, all of those things. But the truth is, the reality is, in our in the, of, of the people we'll meet on a, or reach on a monthly basis, we're going to get people from all types of situations. And obviously, there's going to be a whole wide variety of different types of sexual sin in people's lives to come through the doors. And so the issue is, you know, what do we do? Well, we always love them, and we want to see them right with Christ. So we, we work from the standpoint of we love you. More importantly, Jesus loves you. We want your life to be where Jesus wants it to be. So we're going to work through that process. What we're not going to do is sit here with the clipboard. Do they make those anymore? Or iPad, I'm sorry. 
depends on your age. If you're over a certain age, clipboard, under a certain age, iPad. And just say, check up your life. Are you, are you involved in any of these activities? Check, 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 check. And so it makes it a very difficult situation. And it, it requires us <laughs> to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit all the time. Yeah, trust me when I tell you, there, there are a lot of things I pray for. And when it comes to this part of our world, I ask God for guidance all the time. Because I have sometimes no clue what to do. You've probably noticed that. Notice what he says in verse 3. This becomes really important as we kind of get 3 through 5. For I on my part, though absent in the body but present in spirit, I'm with you spiritually, have already judged him who has committed this as though I was present. I've already passed judgments. Paul's saying, I've already determined what needs to be done. Should have kicked him out. Now, later on, Paul will talk about reconciliation and all that. We got all that. In the name of our Lord Jesus, in those, in, you, you're meeting in the name of the Lord when you are assembled. And I'm not there in presence, but I'm with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus. No, he's saying, I'm with you with the power, the dunamis, that raw ability. He says, I already, he's telling them what to do. You know, but this is one of those places Paul says, I'm telling you what to do. I have decided, and this is the hard part, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that the spirit may be saved, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is a complicated, difficult verse. So I'm just going to skip it. You research it on the internet and let me know what you find. <laughs> so. We should understand, we should assume that somehow along the way, Paul would have, in a previous correspondence, he already wrote a letter to him. We'll see that in a minute. He probably gave them instructions on how to reconcile. We should, Paul always talked about reconciling. Reconciliation is important. Paul said, this guy is not going to repent and get right, and probably his stepmother is probably a pagan, God, because there's no reference made of her. So Paul says, I've decided this. Give him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. This is a tough, what does that mean? We're, we're trying to get people away, from, save them from Satan. So the story of the prodigal son. Luke tells of a man who said to his father, give me what's mine, I'm leaving. His father gave it to him. And let his son go to the far country. Then every day, waited for his son to come back. It's a moving story. It's really, if you've read my book and bought my, read my book, Cauliflower's a Fraud, it's the ending of it. And if you want to know the whole details, I suggest you buy the book and read. I love the person who said, I've been reading your book for the last year and a half now. I'm like, it take, really takes you that long? I understand the deacons, it takes a long time. There's nothing to color in it. But for the rest of you, you shouldn't take that long. Sorry, it's just a cheap shot. And I do that frequently. You'll forget about it in 10 minutes. <laughs> but he sends, he lets the boy go to the far country. And the far country destroys his life. It is a picture of what it means. And understand, this is a, the Greek is complicated. The discussions are complicated. You don't care. In the end, I'm trying to give you the gist of it. He handed that boy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh to pay the price of living that way. And what the boy do? The boy came back and repented and said, Father, just let me be a slave. 
and the Father forgave him. That is the picture of what Paul is talking about. In essence, and all is said and done, all the different views, what Paul is saying is, in that culture, if you kick him out of the church, he's left to live in a pagan world. He has no fellowship. And his, the Holy Spirit is within him. And he's talking about someone who said, this is not a lost person, this is a saved person. Without that ability to fellowship and to commune with other Christians in the church, you have given him over to the world. And the hope is he will come back. By the way, in 2 Corinthians, Paul makes reference that he did. I, I believe he makes that reference. So this is a really difficult thing because the, the, the saving that he's talking about, me saved on the day of the Lord Jesus, it's not that he, he is saved, salvation. It's not a question of salvation. It's the idea of saved back. It's the idea of redeemed. He, he comes back into the fellowship. So the purpose of churching someone or removing them or disciplining them, and there's other passages that talk about it, is so that they will, outside the fellowship, realize the need to be back in the fellowship, repent, and come back to the church. Now, in our culture, it doesn't work that way as much. And there's a whole lot of things you have to be aware of. And, and you know, we, I work through all those processes when I have to deal with situations. But that's the gist of what is happening. The whole purpose of this what Paul is saying is twofold. You are proud of the fact that you have someone living like a pagan in your midst when it should break you. And your response as the church should be to redeem him however you can, which includes removing him for the purpose of bringing him back at some point and to send a strong message to the world outside of Jesus that this is not how Christians laugh. I get all the time from people who are not followers of Christ, who tell me about the followers of Christ, so-called they know, and all the horrible things they've done. Yeah, I got you, I know. Part of our responsibility is to say there are certain things in Christ we value. And sexual purity is one of them. I make no bones when I say, one man, one woman for life, till death to his part. I understand a lot of you have been divorced. I get it. Wherever you're at now, one man, one woman for life. Can't change the past. Don't expect you to. Moving forward, one man, one woman for life. I've had some people, they've moved forward four or five times. <laughs> I had a relative do that. Like eventually, this moving forward has to really stop that way. What we want... So people to be right with God should be our passion. And when a brother and sister in Christ is not, how do we help them get there? There's a sense in which we have to protect the church. I get that. But I'm more, more inclined to say we protect the church than people trying to destroy the church. And this could. The church was having a problem. Paul needed to fix it because some of the leaders had led them astray. But the issue was not only do they need to understand how to deal with people, they need to work to get them back. We emphasize a lot the remove, kicked him out, but we should also emphasize the fact he wanted the spirit saved. Then he gives an illustration, and taken kind of from Passover a little bit, which it's kind of interesting because this is a primarily Gentile church that never celebrated, the Gentiles never celebrated Passover, still wouldn't. Jews would have still, but it's, but it's still a common illustration. 
Jews and Gentiles alike made bread. Some of you still make bread. Most people don't make bread. You, you, you buy it. Those that do make bread make a big deal about it. And if you're on social media, they post it all over the place like whoop de doo People in the Stone Ages made bread. It's like you made a major accomplishment, you know. I made bread. It took four hours when I made it. Yeah, okay. Now, if it's good, that's okay. If it's not good, I don't care. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Of dough. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be, have a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He, throughout Scripture, Jesus talks about a little bit of leaven. So back then, I guess you still do, you want to make bread, you put leaven in it. And leaven didn't take long. It, it just permeates the whole thing. It's like mold. You know, you get mold on something, you know, mold tends to work its way through everything. Um, so what they would do, and, and, and whenever, they did, whenever they did Sabbath or Passover or so at the Sabbath, they made sure all the leaven was taken out. And it, had to, you know, obviously it goes back to when they, the Passover and left Egypt. But the illustration is, even just a speck of leaven, just a touch, just a little bit, will eventually... Do the whole thing. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about frying, and that there are places, restaurants that have the best stuff, that have the same, that never cleaned their grease traps out in decades, maybe centuries. They pour new grease in, but the old grease flavors in their barbecue place, just some barbecue places where I'm from. You walk in there, you, just, you could just lick the walls, man. It's, it smells so good. A little, I don't even need sauce, man, just some salt and pepper. Because the, the flavor permeates. And you try to duplicate that by going and buying your new you know, smoker and you put it in your house. It doesn't taste the same. It, it's lost the leaven. If you allow someone who is steeped in sin to just keep on doing what they've always done, it's going to impact the whole church. One, lost people will think, well, there's no, there's no reason to go to that church. They're not any different. But it's going to impact those who are faithful. It sends the wrong message. It, it's painful. My last church. Good people. I inherited a lot of stuff. You always inherit something. Some, but when I leave, someone will inherit some of the mess I left behind. That's their problem, not mine. But they'll inherit it. But I had a couple of guys who were deacons. And I found out in time that those deacons had had affairs. As deacons, they stayed deacons. I'm like, how? How did that happen? Well, you know, the families give money, and they were sorry, and they tried to work it out. God, all that, sorry, work it out. How'd they stay deacons? <laughs> I, I never looked at those guys the same again. I didn't. I loved them. You know, whenever, you know, they were getting on my case about something, I'm like, get out of here, you kidding? I don't take you seriously. Not because you had an affair. I guess not the problem. It's because... You didn't have the guts to remove yourself. And the church didn't have the courage to do it. What I'm saying is, there are expectations you've got to have. And it's not that people can't be redeemed. Of course they can. But at the moment of their sin, at the moment of their sin, you can't let them be in positions to influence and damage the church. I know we all sin. I get that. But you know what I'm talking about. 
And we, we're really good at pointing out their sin. All those, nobody's moved over here yet, but when they all move over here, I'll be able to point all their sin. Oh, man, we're so bad looking at our sin. And that includes me. Listen, don't kid yourself. I know there's areas i got to work on constantly. You don't think I pray every day about my temper and every day about my pride that it not destroy? Because it's always there. It's just lurking. Some of you do things that tick me off so much and I have to go hide myself to get it all out. But mostly, it's just my sinful nature. And if I let my sinful nature consume my life, I damage the church. Amen. I like that. It's a Davis baby. Good, sweet kid. She doesn't like it. She knows what I'm talking about. It's okay. She's fine. Just don't feed her. He said, I wrote you in my letter, his last letter he wrote him, not to associate with moral people. See, he said, I told you not to associate with moral people. They took it wrong. They thought they meant people in the world. He said, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters. You wouldn't have to, you, then, well, then you would have to go out of the world. He said, when I said don't associate with more people, they took it to mean all the lost people. He said, that's not what I meant. If you don't associate with lost people, how in the world are you going to reach them? Now, I'm not saying, you know, He's going to say later on, don't go to the temple where they sacrifice to the idols with them. He's not saying that. He'll clarify later on, don't, when they have a, a meal and it's a pagan celebration, don't do that. But he's saying, I'm not saying don't have anything to do with them. I will actually, in verse 11, wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he's an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with them. He says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? I'm not. Do you not judge those, though, who are within the church? That's the thing. This is what we do. We judge the lost harshly, and we cut ourselves slack. We expect the people who aren't followers of Christ to live like the followers of Christ. When we don't even hold people who are followers of Christ accountable to living like followers of Christ. You know we do that, right? Oh, you lost people. You're, you're rotten lives. Well, you ought to live like us Christians. Well, they're not going to live like Christians. They're not Christians. Why are you surprised? In the media now, when you read about some of the things people do and believe, they're not followers of Jesus. Why would you not expect them to live like they're not followers of Jesus? But those who are outside, God judges them. God has him. <laughs> Remove the wicked men from among yourselves. He's saying this. We're to share the gospel with the lost, not judge them. God's got that under control. God's a pretty good judge. I think he's got that under control. But the people inside the church, yeah, we need to judge. We need to hold each other accountable for our lives. <laughs> I was listening. Uh, there's a song from the 80s. Anybody familiar with the Bengals from the 80s? I like the Bengals. Yeah, I was the same age. Yeah, I like the Bengals. It's an all-girls band. Why wouldn't I have liked the Bengals in the 80s? And they sing the song, Walk Like an Egyptian. You heard that song? It's a cool song. I still listen to it. I got it on, you know, on uh, play. That's it's a cool song. It's funny. They show all this, the video, all that. As Christians, we ought to walk like Christians, man. Live like Christians. And, and help each other. But when someone continues to be outside of that, 
part of helping them is to remind them they're not living the way they should. And at some point to say, hey, you've got to get it together. Sometimes part of helping them get it together, I've had to say, you're not going to teach that class anymore. You're not going to hold that position anymore. You're done as of now. I'm not going to take it to the church. I'm not going to vote on it. If I have to do that, I want to take it harsh measures. Brother, you're done now. Hope you stay. I hope you will still worship and celebrate with us and get your act together because we love you. But I'm not going to have you teach and influence people because then it looks like I'm condoning your life. But to a person outside of Christ, I'm going to open up those doors, hold out my hand and say, we love you. We don't care what you're doing. You, you come on. That's kind of a crazy way to be. It's the opposite of what American Christianity has been about for the last however long, which is why American Christianity is in trouble. We're not to go as far as some churches and denominations and say what you're doing is okay. I'm not saying that. We never do that. It's not okay. But what we're going to do is says we love you even though it's not okay. Well, it's probably a good place to end because I don't want to deal with this subject much more. It's tough. I'm pretty much worn out. I'm probably going to start naming names in a minute. I don't want to do that. So next week, I get to talk about lawsuits among believers. That's exciting and fun. Well, we'll see you Sunday when I'll talk about the resurrection. Thank goodness. That's easy. We'll see you all later.